Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, we are officially in the midst of our 2019 clay court season on both the men's and women's sides. Canada suffered a tough loss to the high-powered Czech Republic team at Fed Cup, and it was Fabio Fanini scoring the biggest title of his career in Monte Carlo. And for me, Mike, that's a great place to start because I think when we were talking about the clay court season uh, just a week ago, we were kind of looking for names and circling players who are going to give Rafael Nadal a run for his money. And would that be Djokovic? Would that be Dominic Team? And I know Fabio Fanini is a dangerous player on clay, but he is not someone I was thinking of to have a chance to win this title in Monte Carlo. Just pretty unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking about it and wondering, is there a greater triumph in men's tennis than a win over Rafael Nadal on clay? I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's now... 37 career losses on, on clay for Rafa, and you put that next to, I think, 419 wins. It gives you an idea of how, how staggering an accomplishment it is and just how difficult it is to win a clay court match against him. But it's good that you bring that up because Fabio Fanini now has three official wins against him on the clay court surface. Yeah, to me, that's major bragging rights for uh, one day when Fabio hangs up the racket because there's, there's only so many players that have done that. I mean, Djokovic a staggering seven times, which is just incredible. And then Fanini's tied with Dominic Team and Gaston Godio, who's retired now with, with three wins each. Um, so, you know, credit to, to Fanini for putting it all together, especially when in his opening match, he was trailing uh, Rublev by a set and 4-1 before mounting a pretty huge comeback. So, I mean, as he alluded to after the, the big win, uh, he didn't even think he'd, he'd get to that stage and have an opportunity to even face Nadal. Um, so, so beating Nadal is absolutely epic. And, uh, you know, Fanini is one of those players who's got the talent. But as we know, he's definitely one of the notorious head cases on the ATP Tour. And he's actually come a long way because I can remember years ago uh, watching the Rogers Cup in Montreal on hardcourt. And Fabio forgot to bring his hardcourt shoes. He played actually <laughs> his match in clay court shoes. And that just kind of shows how unprepared and maybe immature he was at the time. I'd still say he's half of a head case right now, but clearly he's able to put together some some big moments, and, and this being the biggest of his uh, career, undoubtedly. Yeah, absolutely, and he, he's certainly a player that I think loves and thrives on the big stage and, and definitely had a, a large contingent of home crowds there, Italians uh, who were cheering him on, which I think certainly helped in his match with Rafa Nadal. And this wasn't one of these upsets where you kind of sneak by with a 7-5 in the third set. This was thoroughly dominant. He took the first set 6-4, and then he was up 5-love with match points to to actually bagel Nadal, which would have been the first bagel dealt to Rafa on the clay court surface since 2007. Uh, Nadal to get two games back, but 6-4, 6-2 uh, to, to get into that final and then beating a, a very surprise finalist in Dusan Lajevic. Uh, Fabio Fanini kind of himself admits that he has the talent uh, to be a regular top 10 player, but doesn't really have the temperament to do so. So this is one of these, uh, certainly the career highlight for him. And uh, Roland Garros around, well, not quite around the corner yet, but our next Grand Slam has, has been his best showing uh, and his only quarterfinals appearance at, uh, at any Grand Slam in his career. You think uh, he could be one of those types of threats that could make a surprising run to the second week? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you wouldn't want to face. He's a guy who could go deep or could also blow out early, you know, depending on his mental state of mind. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and I was impressed that he, he capitalized on making the final because also it would not have shocked me if he had lost in straight sets in that final after beating Nadal and being on such a high to sort of come back down, you know, and then and then maybe not be able to regroup for the finals. But he put together some good stuff to uh, to conclude the tournament with uh, the winner's trophy. So uh, all in all, kudos to uh, Fabio Fanini for, uh, for doing that. Yes, and uh, so with that win for Fabio Fanini, his first Masters 1000 title of his career, and uh, the top two seeds, Novak Djokovic, number one, Rafa Nadal, number two, both coming up short. And let's actually start with Djokovic because he is now 0-3 since that, uh, sorry, 0-3 in terms of chasing titles since that Australian Open win uh, with a couple surprise losses, I guess, in the hardcourt swing there with Indian Wells and Miami. And then in this case, falling to Daniel Medvedev, who actually gave him trouble in Australia, pushing him to four sets. Do we have any concerns about Novak's play or do we kind of trust in his ability to maybe turn it on when it really counts the most? Yeah, I mean, I know there's been a lot of reaction to this and Djokovic, you know, seems to get maybe an unusually amount of uh, high level of flack after a couple of lackluster uh, events. I mean, he won the Aussie Open. He's holding the last three slams in a row. So, I mean, how can you be concerned about a player who's holding the last three consecutive majors? To me, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Is it a lull? Sure. Uh, You know, could be explained by a a variety of, of reasons. Absolutely. And I think for a guy who admits that, you know, he's gearing himself up really for the slams more than anything else. Uh, I'm not saying I'm concerned. It's something I'm tracking. It's something we're watching, of course. Uh, but I think until he has, you know, a, a lackluster French Open or, or follows that up with, you know, a, a week go at, at Wimbledon, perhaps, then we can say maybe we're concerned. But until that happens to me, uh, no, not, not, not at all, really, to be honest with you. Yes, and you're right. He has uh, said clearly his goal, at least in the season, is trying to peak uh, during the Grand Slam season, have his have his game at its absolute best level when you are playing the, the two-week events uh, of one of the four Grand Slams. And, of course, Roland Garros is still uh, a little bit of a ways away. Rafael Nadal, the surprise loss. Uh, look, he's, he's only lost now three clay court matches over the past two years and into this season. Um, to me, I, I think he still has to be the firm favorite on this surface, uh, just given the number of titles he's racked up. He's won 11 French Opens and now arriving to uh, Barcelona where he's won 11 as well. Any concerns with him at all? I, I think for him right now, it just it's health uh, mainly for me, I would say. Yeah, as long as he's healthy and, and who knows exactly what percentage he is towards, towards 100% being healthy at this point. But he hadn't played since withdrawing from his Miami Open semifinal where he was supposed to, to play against Federer. So first tournament back, different surface. I mean, I know it's an event where we're so used to seeing him win 11 times the champion, but for how many players would we say a semifinal appearance of a Masters 1000 is a disappointment, right? So yeah. if you put it in that context, to me, I'm not uh, overly concerned. And he's still got, I mean, how many more events to, again, be ready to be his best, hopefully, at Roland Garros. He's got Barcelona. There's Madrid. There's Rome. There's lots of time to go. He made it to the Final Four. So, no, to me, I'm not overly concerned. You know, maybe a little bit surprised at the scoreline, 6-4, 6-2. But, uh, but otherwise, I, I don't think the sky's falling for Rafa either. Yeah, and uh, we we did have two Canadians in the draw. Denis Shapovalov was unable to find his footing in this event early on, and that sort of happened, I guess, last year too. The transition to clay is, of course, difficult and uh, fell to Jan Leonard Struff. Uh, So for me, I guess it's 
a bit difficult right now to get a read on expectations for him on the surface, but we know he did reach a Masters semifinal uh, last year in Madrid. Uh, but he had the had the great hardcourt lead up uh, reaching the semis in Miami. So something tells me over the next few weeks, things are going to start to click for him on clay. Yeah, I wonder. I kind of feel perhaps like the opposite, just in the sense that I, I'm not getting my hopes up for Dennis on clay. I think if you take out his semifinal uh, appearance in Madrid last year, don't you think the narrative maybe would be very different in terms of expectations for, for Shapovalov? So I, I think while that was a great event and a great run for him, you know, last year making at the time his second ever Masters 1000 semi, um, you know, I don't think there was previous uh, results to really um, warrant a lot of hype for him on this surface. And if you had to look at all of the surfaces on tour from hard courts to indoor to, to grass, I mean, clay to me is going to be his, his weakest one. So um, I'm not expecting, uh, you know, that much from Dennis on the surface. But if he goes out and, and has a good run and gets a good draw, obviously be happy to see it. But, uh, you know, between him and, and Felix, let's say, for example, um, I, I put more of my eggs in the uh, Felix Ojealiasin basket. Yes, and, and certainly Felix would be the stronger player, more more suited to clay, that is. Uh, and he's back on his favorite surface. Of course, he made a Rio Open final earlier, earlier this year in that South American run where he was fantastic on clay. Five ATP Tour Challenger wins on clay and uh, won his first match. And I was honestly a little surprised because he was leading into his next match against Sasha Zverev. And I know Zverev has not been playing uh, very well this season at all, but he's still a very established top five player. And I saw mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, almost anticipating an upset there, <laughs> which uh, I don't want to uh, rest the, the weight of the world here on Felix Ojealiasim and remind people that he's still 18. It's it's pretty hard to just pull off these top 20, top 10, top five wins just over and over again. And to me, there should be no concern that Zverev, as a favorite, uh, beat Felix in, in that second match there for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of people who were kind of banking on him to pull off the upset, I think that's some wishful thinking. And, and maybe too many people are kind of getting caught up in the Canadian hype. And I mean, we can't blame them because there's been so many great Canadian results and so many young Canadian players who have been going deep in tournaments or, or winning tournaments for the first time. And so I can see people maybe falling under that uh, illusion of this, this Canadian you know dominance that's going to happen at every event in 2019. But, uh, yeah, realistically speaking, uh, I would have been pretty shocked if he had beaten uh, Sasha Zverev on clay here. And so uh, learning experience, good for him to see the gap between him, you know, encroaching on the top 30 and the top few guys on the tour and, um, and, and move along and, and take something for the next, uh, the next event or the next time he, he faces him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Zverev is an excellent clay court player in his own right. Two of his three Masters 1000s wins coming on that surface. You are listening. I, I kind of to... feel, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Ben. I kind of feel like Zverev is coming in as a, as a pretty big underdog. And when I say underdog, it's kind of funny because he's, you know, in the top five in the world here, but mm-hmm. kind of like off the radar because of results this year. And, and because really, I think at this point, we've almost tuned him out at Grand Slams as we approach Roland Garros uh, just because of past performance. But I wonder if, if this is like ideal conditions for him to maybe snap out of things and deal us a big surprise and actually have his first 
deep run at a major uh, coming up in Paris. Yeah, that's a great point. It's rare for a player maybe ranked third in the world to not be one of those names on people's radar for a clay court threat, but uh, nobody is really talking about Alexander Zverev right now. And, uh, you know, with that expectation off, I think this is a great opportunity for him uh, to find his game again. It really was not that long ago that he was uh, winning the end-of-year title just uh, last November. Uh, It's funny how cyclical tennis is this way that, you know, he has a bad you know, month and a half, and everybody's asking, what's wrong with Sasha Zverev? Uh, he can so quickly turn this around, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him do so. Uh, you are listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. Subscribe on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll uh, transition to the women's side and start with Fed Cup. Uh, we spoke with Tom Tebbett last week about Canada coming into this matchup with the Czech Republic, and, and we know uh, that we were not sending uh, even remotely our best players because Bianca was unavailable, Jeannie Bouchard was unavailable, but uh, you know this was a great opportunity for uh, some other players from Canada to get this opportunity again. Rebecca Marino playing her first Fed Cup in, I believe, eight years. Layla Annie Fernandez becoming the youngest ever to compete in the event at just 16. Veterans like Sharon Fitchman were there, and then Gabby Dabrowski, our anchor in doubles. Uh, it was a 4 nothing win for Czech Republic, but I'm more interested, uh, I suppose, in the experience that would have been gained from really everybody uh, that represented Canada this past weekend. Yeah, there were a lot of feel-good stories there for the Canadian team. And despite the fact it kind of went according to, you know, how we kind of figured it would go, and that's not a knock against the four women that were there representing uh, Canada, it's, it's just a matter of fact that even the Czech Republic's B or C squad, whatever you want to call it, you know, just had more depth and and um, and talent, uh, you know, than, than ours did really this time around. Um, for, for women who went to, to step up and have the opportunity, like you said, Becca Marino, what an inspiring story. Uh, you're right, eight years since her last Fed Cup singles appearance. And just after what she battled, you know, for those years off of the tour, uh, the mental health challenges, the, the resilience that she's shown, and to come back and have that moment. I mean, she's just a great role model for any young Canadian kids or, or Canadians in general who might be battling their own sort of mental health issues. And so I was really happy to see her be the, the lead singles player for Canada. And then Leila Annie Fernandez, I've never seen her play, but here she is at 16 years old. And, and although she went down in straight sets in her uh, Fed Cup singles match, so much to look forward to down, down the road. I mean, at 16 years old, there's still so much untapped development and potential to, to come. So it's going to be really cool to see how she uh, sort of goes from here. And I'm assuming at the Rogers Cup this summer, she'll be getting a, a wild card into qualifying anyway. So that would be cool for people to come out and, and see her play live for the first time. Uh, some buzz around here early. There was, I guess, around Bianca Andreescu at the same age. And then in doubles, you know, Gabby and Sharon gave the Canadians their, their best shot at a, at a point in the tie. Uh, I believe it was 7-6, 7-5 or, or 7-5, 7-6, keeping it close. And, and that pairing has had success in the past. And I know they're not, you know, going to team up and be regular partners, but they do give Canada, regardless of who they're playing, I think a pretty solid pairing in, in doubles. And, and for Sharon as well, for those who don't know, I mean, a year ago she was basically on our side of things in the broadcast booth in the media, decided to come back out and, and give it a go. She's uh, 28 years old, still has some good time ahead of her, and, and proved that she still got it in doubles, even though, uh, you know, she's still uh, getting her way back into uh, real real game shape, I guess. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, she was on the broadcasting side and, and did take uh, about two years away from the game. And I, I remember having the opportunity speaking with her on this podcast um, almost uh, roughly about a year ago, actually. And that was when she was making a quiet return at a doubles event in Indian Harbor Beach. And here she is in 2019 playing a lot more doubles, uh, which is great to see. And I think uh, she understands that's going to be her her best uh, best route to go in terms of being a, a threat for Canada. And uh, we know how strong Gabby Dabrowski is, of course, uh, as a doubles player. So I'm, I'm for me, I, I think thinking ahead to what this Fed Cup team will become, especially, you know, when Layla Annie Fernandez is a couple years older and maybe developing into a very strong prospect and player on the WTA. We already have seen how fantastic Bianca is, and she was really the anchor in their Fed Cup win earlier this season. And then we would, uh, of course, love Jeannie Bouchard to be back and and playing again as well. I, I think uh, she knows how to deliver on that stage in a country versus country matchup. She did it in 2018 uh, against Ukraine, so I would love to see her back. Uh, we haven't seen her on the tennis court in uh, some time. Before we talk about that, I j- just will mention, uh, in terms of Fed Cup, it was Australia setting up a finals clash with France, and some great play from Ash Barty winning two singles matches over Victoria Azarenka and Arena Sabalenka, and uh, leading the way in doubles there. And, and France uh, won the rubber over Romania uh, with Kiki Mladenovic and Caroline Garcia playing doubles there. So that should be a very fun final. Um, just back to Jeannie Bouchard for a moment. I, I'm wondering when we are going to see her on court again, Mike, and her plans for the mm. clay court season because we really haven't heard anything. Yeah, I mean, there's two things to, to discuss here. And, and one is, yeah, what's going on? Because there's been the, uh, you know, rumor mill, uh, you know, churning about uh, her taking some time off from the sport. And although she went and said that's fake news on Twitter, she hasn't really done anything, you know, uh, you know tangible to, to disprove that myth. Um, she, she didn't go and accept the uh, invitation from Tennis Canada to play on the Fed Cup team. And there wasn't really a, a reason given either. And I was, I got to be honest, and I'm not critical of, of Jeannie Bouchard nearly as, as much uh, or to the same level as, as many people out there are, try and give the benefit of the doubt. And she has been making some inroads since summer of, of 2018. But when, when she fails to play for her country and doesn't give a reason and doesn't post anything on social media, either encouraging her you know, fellow Canadians who are showing up or offering any sort of messages in the aftermath about, hey, you know, great, great effort, uh, girls, or anything like that, to me, that kind of speaks volumes and not in a positive way. So I'm kind of disappointed. I don't know who's in charge of her PR team, but the you know numerous posts from her Miami vacation and, and Disneyland trip, uh, which is fine. You want to go do that. You need downtime. If you're feeling burnt out, if you're nursing injury, I'm not judging that you know possibility. Mm-hmm. But when you don't say anything and all that speaks for you is these images and is this sort of you know attitude that is showing you know tennis not super important at the moment. Um, it really offers up more questions than anything else. And so uh, to me, uh, she kind of dropped the ball with this one. And if there was a reason, then just, you know, say so and, and you know, be uh, be mature about it, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, certainly because as someone who is so active on social media, she loves connecting with her fans. Uh, she interacts with fans, whether it's Twitter, Instagram. Um, so I, I think it would be so easy for her to explain that, you know, maybe she's not happy with where her level is right now. If she has been nursing an injury, we know she's dealt with a couple abdominal injuries in the past uh, and has not been fully healthy for certain stretches of time, of course, over the past several years, uh, but as well in the past 12 months. 
So I, I'd like to know why uh, she hasn't played. I'm, I'm sure she will get back on the court soon. And I, I hope she can regain some of the momentum I thought she was gaining uh, from the summer and fall of 2018 carried over to a pretty decent start to 2019 where she was actually winning some matches. Uh, it's not like her ranking is plummeting right now. Um, she's 80th in the world. Uh, she just has to get back on court. And we know she has had clay court success in the past. Yeah, it would have been interesting to me to see what she could have done, you know, adding Jeannie to the mix. Bianca obviously still nursing and recovering from, you know, shoulder injury. It would have been interesting to me to see what we could have done with with Jeannie uh, there as well. And, you know, she had her sort of return to Fed Cup a year ago where she won her two singles rubbers and was welcomed back into the fold. And I thought that was really a, a big step forward for her. And to me, that kind of sparked her resurgence in the mm-hmm. rankings as well, even though you don't get, you know, the points for that. But from there, it seemed like things were starting to pick up for her. So it's it just shocking to me that there's um, no reason for her to just not not show up and sort of build on that international momentum that she created a year ago. And with Bianca gone, it, it could have reminded people, hey, Jeannie's here too, and, and gives us another solid player in the uh, international uh, mix of things. Yes, uh, well, I hope she craves the international competition again going forward uh, because as we profiled the Fed Cup team going forward, uh, I really think her presence is important to have uh, Jeannie Bouchard back on that team and playing. You know, maybe we won't, we won't see that exceptional 2014 level again, but some of the level that we were seeing uh, tail end of last season, early this season would certainly be helpful to that team in in singles, I think. Uh, So it'd be great to see her uh, again competing for Canada. Another Canadian who uh, did give us a piece of news just over the past week, Braden Schnurr, of course, was never really on our radar in 2019, but then suddenly had that incredible run to the New York Open final. And uh, it was good to see him announce very early, mind you, that he will be back uh, playing uh, the 2020 New York Open next year. Uh, obviously a long way, I think, to go for Braden in terms of development, getting up there in the rankings, but he's he's carefully and quietly making strides, which is nice to see. And, of course, the New York Open was just one of many Canadian Canadian highlights this season. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that New York's going to occupy a special place uh, for Braden Schnurr moving forward. Such a, a big moment in his career and an unexpected moment as well. Um, and uh, I don't know what the plans are on, on clay for him. I think he'd agree that's not his strongest surface, mm-hmm. but he is absolutely uh, pumped for the grass court season. And when I spoke with him uh, about a month and a half, two months ago now maybe, uh, he was talking about how the grass court season, as short as it is, is really something that he relishes because he feels like his game is just really made to, uh, to succeed there. And, uh, and so with uh, you know, a, a ranking bump that he got earlier this year, he's hoping to uh, get seated for uh, the Wimbledon qualities and uh, maybe make a little bit of noise there, perhaps win around or, or something to that effect, which again would be great for his ranking, great for his confidence. And, and then transitioning from that grass into the hardcourt swing in the summer, which also is going to be a strength for, uh, for Braden Schnurr. I would personally love to see him uh, crack the top 100. I think it's something he's capable of doing. He's close right now, 116. Uh, Most recently, he was playing challengers in China uh, with a little bit of success here and there in Shenzhen. He did reach a a semifinal of a challenger, so uh, some steps forward there. And uh, the grass court season is not that far away. Uh, Maybe that, I guess that makes two Canadians that love the grass court threats. Obviously, Milos Raonic, a bit of a different type of threat when we uh, transition to that surface, but... uh, 
we will stick with the clay for now because the action continues this week and over to a 500 event in Barcelona. Uh, obviously a chance for a bounce back for Rafael Nadal. He's won this event 11 times. One of the courts is now named after him. Uh, he's he's going to be idolized at this event for you know decades to come. Um, I'm looking at the Canadians as well, though. Denis Shapovalov is going to have a tough match uh, to get him started in this event uh, because he could be uh, well, he's awaiting the winner of Martin Klijan, Christian Guerin. And we remember actually in Davis Cup action, Shapovalov going toe-to-toe and beating Klijan in a very crucial match for, for Canada's uh, game against Slovakia there. Uh, very curious to see how Dennis handles uh, his next tournament and what will certainly be a tough clay court match to get him started. Yeah, I'm looking at the draw right now in front of me, and it's just kind of cool to see. There's Dennis with the number nine seed next to his name, and just below him you see Felix Ogialiasin with the 16th seed under his name, and it it just speaks volumes to the inroads that Canadians have been making. And as you mentioned, you know, Schnurr may be cracking the top 100, and we'd have to check this stat, but I wonder what the record is for the most Canadian men inside the top 100, and, and I was guessing that we're on the verge of, of a record there, depending on how things go for Braden and maybe Vatican when he gets back from injury too. But it's cool to see these Canadians in the draw with seeds next to their name. It's a sign of progress. Uh, both Dennis and Felix are, are two wins away from potentially facing each other in the Barcelona draw. And although that doesn't seem like much, when you look at some of the names there, Ben, uh, I think that's a pretty big ask for that to probably happen. Yeah, that's a very big ask, especially a very tall order for Felix Ojeda-Aliassim, uh, who could potentially be drawing Philippe Kohlschreiber in his very first match. And Kohlschreiber is a very seasoned, really strong clay court player. He gave Djokovic fits actually last week. He's kind of been giving Djokovic fits all season. He got that win, uh, I think it was in Miami. Um, actually, sorry, Indian Wells, and then uh, took him to three sets just last week in Monte Carlo. Very good clay court player, so that would be very difficult. If he somehow comes through there, then you might have to be dealing with Kei Nushikori, who loves this tournament. He's actually won it two times. So it is a tough path for Canadians. Uh, I, I think we could view it as a positive week if either one of them picks up a, a match win to start and gets gets the ball rolling, especially for Shapovalov. You can get the ball rolling with a, a first match win at Barcelona. I think that will uh, go go a long way in terms of confidence for him on this surface. Yeah, baby steps for sure. And, and we could get, yeah, some big matches pretty early on for both of them. I just noticed actually that Cole Schreiber has uh, withdrawn. I don't see the reason. Oh, really? But he's been okay. replaced by, uh, by a lucky loser in the draw. So wow. maybe Felix's first match, not quite as tough as, as what it would have been. I agreed with your earlier statement for sure. Uh, but potentially then facing Nishikori in his, in his next match if he gets by that. And, and Chapel potentially facing uh, Fanini. So um, well, we'll see how things go for them. Uh, Milos, still no Milos uh, Ronich in, uh, in any clay court events yet in 2019. So I'm, I'm wondering what the game plan is, is there for our highest-ranked Canadian at the moment. Yeah, I'm pretty curious how he's going to schedule his appearances here on the clay court surface uh, before he obviously would want to peak on the grass court season. I don't think he wants to miss the French Open again. Um, And to me, if he does play a few events on clay, if his body's feeling up to it, I just think it would be beneficial in terms of getting some ranking points because he really didn't play much at all on the clay last year. Uh, there's a lot of points he could pick up just by, you know, winning a few matches here and there and maybe bumping up from 16th right now in the rankings. Maybe he could close into, say, 
the 14 type area, which is currently occupied by Medvedev. But uh, I would think if he's going to play this surface, which I'm, I'm sure he will, uh, he might be suited to play a tune-up before playing Madrid. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of him just going right into a Masters 1000 without a clay court, uh, smaller clay court tournament played in advance. Yeah, and I mean, he's not going to show up at uh, Roland Garros without having played a uh, tune-up. I mean, that'd be crazy to go best, uh, get into a best-of-five on clay without yeah. having any, uh, you know, matches under his belt. So, you know, maybe he's not at 100%. If he's not 100%, I wouldn't step foot on the clay if I were him. Uh, he's got to be ready for the grass court. And, you know, even if his seating is a little bit lower than what he'd like, you know, hopefully Wimbledon with their uh, seating formula might bump him up a couple of spots just based on uh, prior experience. Um, so to me, and again, we don't know anything, uh, you know, any insider information here, but the longer we go without seeing him, the less likely I think it is that he's going to make any appearance on the red dirt. And, uh, if I'm in his camp again, you need him hundred percent healthy for grass court. He's 28 years old, realistically. And especially with his, his frame, his big frame and his history of injuries. This is not a guy that I expect playing tennis at 37, like Roger Federer no. or, or 40 years old, like Ivo Karlovich who also has a huge serve. So I, I just think that he's really got to maximize, you know, his, his financial, you know, the financial gains that he can make uh, in his late twenties, early thirties. And uh, so being healthy for the grass court season is, is paramount in order of achieving that. I think. Yeah, that's certainly pivotal. Um, all right. If, if Milos happens to listen to this podcast, I think I've mapped out a perfect, <laughs> uh, perfect clay court schedule for him. So Milos, if you're listening, here's, here's my idea for you. In, in a week, we have the Estrel open in Portugal, a small 250 event. Uh, so either way, if you're doing well or not, you won't have to play that many matches. Start there as a tune-up, then travel over and play Madrid. That is it. Take your time off uh, for a few weeks and then play Roland Garros. That would be three clay court events, one smaller one, uh, pretty light workload with a few weeks off after Madrid, skip Rome, and then play Roland Garros. That, that, to, me would be, that to me would be the most sensible path for him if he is going to play on the clay. That's some good advice from Coach Lewis. And, uh, you know, be careful with the frequency that Milos changes coaches. You know, you could get an opportunity there if, uh, if he likes what you're saying, I guess. Uh, ben. I appreciate that. Uh, we will go on to the women's side. Just a couple uh, of events this week. Uh, the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix, which uh, we have some some rankings points at stake here. Naomi Osaka is going there as the number one seed. She's never really had clay court success before. Of course, her success on the WTA tour has been so quickly uh, rising over the past, you know, six or seven months. Simona Halep is the number two seed. And then Carolina Pliskova, who's number three, uh, also is one of uh, three players who could be holding the world number one at the end of this tournament. So Osaka can back it up if she reaches the final. Uh, Halep and Pliskova, if one of them, I believe, makes the final or wins it and Osaka doesn't get there, have an opportunity to vault ahead in the world number one. Um, It's kind of I guess hard to evaluate uh, who's going to, if anybody is going to dominate clay on the women's side, but one name I obviously have circled uh, because she'll be backing up a French open title. To me, Simona Halep is the best clay court player on the women's tour. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if I look at the 2018 uh, records on clay among the women, um, Mertens, Elise Mertens was uh, 16 and two uh, best record. Halep was right behind her 16 and three. Uh, and then there were a bunch of women uh, like Kvitova, Burdens, and Garcia who all had very favorable records as well on clay. But in terms of ranking points last year, Halep nearly doubled her nearest competition on clay. She had 2,900 points on the surface compared to Sloane Stevens, 
who was in second place with 1,527. So to me, huge favorite, uh, Simona, as we uh, gear up for the next Grand Slam, not to mention the fact, I mean, she's finally won it, but she's also made the finals there twice in 2014 and 2017. So I think beneath her, there's quite a few, like, um, challengers that we're going to group together, mm-hmm. but she's the um, you know I want to say the favorite, but the uh, the lead I guess amongst uh, all of those players. And uh, you know at some point we're going to get a, a repeat WTA winner this year because it's something like eighteen or nineteen events with different winners. Yeah. I wonder if the uh, the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix here is the one where we're finally going to see that uh, amazing streak of, of variety uh, snap. Yeah, I certainly think there's a good chance of that. I also wonder just uh, what Simona Halep's mindset is uh, entering the clay this season. You know, the the storyline all of last year before she finally won the French Open was can she get the monkey off her back and finally win a Grand Slam title? And she was going into 2019 without that pressure. But this time around on clay, I guess there is an element of pressure in terms of backing up what you have done maybe. And also just a lot of points to defend in terms of keeping a ranking high and being solidly, you know, in that sort of top three conversation of players. So there, there is, I, I'm, I'm sure some pressure that she should be feeling, uh, but this could be a great start for her on her clay court camp, uh, clay court campaign in Stuttgart at the uh, Porsche tennis Grand Prix. Other names that I'm certainly looking at uh, Kerber hasn't really dominated clay at any time in her career but she's been pretty solid this season kiki burton's who you mentioned i think she's definitely i don't really want to call her a dark horse uh but certainly mm-hmm. a, another name that i'm looking uh looking for to do some damage on this surface for sure and there's a great first round matchup here between garbina muguruza and victoria azarenka mm-hmm. so that's really a blockbuster opener yeah uh azarenka keeps getting tough draws kind of like a stan varenka but on the women's side you know not yet seated in 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 events but she's getting closer to it just like stan is on the men's side muguruza has really you know continued to struggle for some time now it, it seems so that one to me you know normally you'd probably say muguruza with her, her french open title under the belt but but who knows here? And and over on the double side, just to mention before we uh, wrap up here, uh, Gabby Dabrowski is back at it, but she's playing with not her usual partner, but uh, someone she has played with a bit in the past. She'll team up with uh, Yelena Ostapenko uh, in doubles at the uh, Porsche Grand Prix. There's another uh, great player to watch. Obviously, she has struggled so much since winning her lone Grand Slam title, but her lone Grand Slam was the French Open just a couple years ago. There's one other smaller WTA event this week, the Istanbul Cup. Uh, Topsy there, Carlos Suarez Navarro. She's a bit of a clay court specialist, so certainly a chance to win the title there. Uh, Mike, thanks so much, as always, for joining us. And uh, the eyes will be peeled, I guess, on the Canadians this week in, in Barcelona as we continue the clay court season. That's the see what they can do and be back in a week to wrap it all up. Perfect. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Southpaw Slice. We will talk to you next time. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Gonna stand